Ralph is not enjoying his morning coffee. Every morning he does his rounds, visiting each of his four stores in the Burlington, Ontario area, getting a cup at the first store he visits, and usually a refill by the third. But this morning, it's not just the coffee that's a little bitter. It's the competition. Ralph sees that the Tim Hortons drive-thru is much busier than any of his operations in the morning. And he knows that the very coffee he's sipping is likely the culprit. Welcome to Hamburger Business Review, a podcast about Harvard Business School's case studies on McDonald's. I'm Zach Rose, here with Mike Merrill. Today we're talking about the 2004 case study, McDonald's and the McCafe Coffee Initiative. This case study is focused on the operations of McDonald's in Canada and was actually produced by the Richard Ivey School of Business at the University of Western Ontario, but was available through the Harvard Business School website. Now, I want to raise a potential red flag. I'm sure that the Richard Ivey School of Business is a great school, but in the small print of this case study, it says it was prepared by Lindsay Segro, who we have to assume is the daughter of Ralph Segro, the Ralph that we mentioned earlier. And I guess my question is, you know, doing a case study on your dad's business, I'm sure it has some sort of impact on the work, but does it mean that she's hiding, you know, the warts and all, or does it mean that she has special inside information? So I just wanted to flag that before we get started. Mike, I have some questions also, because this case study made a point of saying that certain, like almost as if they were doing like a cops show, like certain names had been fictionalized and certain details had been obscured to match up with the public record. Is Ralph Segro Lindsay Segro's father? Do we know that? Is that is it a real person? Why would she make an, a character with her same last name? What's going on here? I'm pretty sure that she's the daughter of, and I wasn't able to confirm this. I did find there is a Ralph Segro. He has a son named Ryan who is now operating many McDonald's franchises in the area. And it does mention his sister, though not by name, in one news article. So I believe this to be the case. There's a couple other things with this case study where dates and things didn't quite line up. And the case study doesn't use a lot of hard dates. And so things are a little bit softer than we've seen in some of our official Harvard Business Review case studies. What do we make of this? What can we say about the business case study as a form? Because I've been confused by some of these. It seems like you're supposed to know all these small details. It seems as if you are to use this as a simulation of a real experience. You would have to be on limited time. You'd have to have limited ability to do research. And that's kind of the the vibe I'm getting from these. Yeah, I think it's helpful to think of a case study as an exercise. It's sort of a using a real world event to build a scenario that allows us to think our own way through the problem and come up with some interesting potential conclusions. So what we'll find going forward in, in this one, as well as probably all of these case studies, is a really unsatisfying end. Essentially, it's a three-act structure with no act three, and it's up to us to step in and sort of resolve or potentially try to pitch some resolves for this scenario. Okay. 
So back to Ralph, sitting in his car, and he's wondering if better coffee could help him in the battle of the breakfasts. To be fair, the McDonald's coffee is better than it used to be, because according to the case study, McDonald's Canada switched to Higgins and Burke as their Canadian supplier a few years ago. Now, I have to raise another potential red flag here, because I did look up Higgins and Burke. I'm not as familiar with the world of coffee in Canada, and we know that McDonald's uses a lot of regional suppliers. And so I looked up Higgins and Burke. They're actually a tea maker and they are listed currently as the provider of a sort of high-end hot chocolate, but not coffee. And so it's likely that the coffee provider is actually this company called Mother Parker, which distributes both coffee and Higgins and Burke teas. And while it's not mentioned in the case study, it's pretty interesting because Mother Parker was also the original provider of coffee beans to Tim Hortons before they started their own roasting operation. And then over the years in taste tests, and again, this is after the events of this case study, but McDonald's has actually been able to consistently beat Tim Hortons and Starbucks in taste tests using this Mother Parker roasted coffee. Do we think that the Mother Parker is another fictional red herring that we're not supposed to know about? In this case, it reads to me more like a mistake. Okay. The Higgins and Burke has a very strong label and would actually probably be present as the tea maker in the restaurant. And so it's possible that the author, if she did have a father who worked in the business, knew and recognized that name and just assumed that the coffee, which probably comes unbranded or branded as McCafe, was under the same brand. So back to the late 90s, where Ralph is facing a real dilemma. He has been an owner-operator since 1988. He started out a manager for 10 years before that. This is a man who knows how to run a McDonald's. And he also knows that the fancy little coffee shops with the barista is not the issue. The competition he is after is the quick service restaurants, chain franchises, Burger King, Wendy's, and with the Battle of Breakfast, it's a different kettle of fish. And not only is Tim Hortons the king of Canadian coffee, they're also flush with cash after being recently purchased by Wendy's. Yeah, so Tim Hortons used the influx of square burger money from this Wendy's merger slash acquisition to fund a massive expansion. And they're right in the midst of this as this case study is going on. They end up having twice as many locations as McDonald's in Canada and accounting for 23% of all fast food industry revenues in Canada by 2005. So they're on a massive, massive tear. And so Ralph is looking at his balance sheets and he's noticing that even as McDonald's breakfast sales are increasing, he's steadily losing market share. Why does this matter? Who, who would not be happy with an increasing business? Growth is great, but it's kind of the inverse of the idea that rising tide is going to lift all boats. Imagine a pie, uh, not a McDonald's pie, but like a round pie. And let's say you have 25% of the pie and you're pretty happy with that. If you weigh that slice, that one fourth of the pie, let's say it's 100 grams. And a year later, you have 150 grams of pie. So that's your sales growth. You've, you've grown. But when you look at the rest of the pie, which has also grown, that 150 grams is now only 20% of the pie. So like you have more pie, but you have less of the whole pie. And that's the situation that Ralph is in as he's losing market share. Mm. You know, McDonald's became dominant through the power of the egg mcmuffin when they launched breakfast but it's just not enough to win the breakfast battle anymore and even after changing suppliers mcdonald's is just suffering from this poor coffee reputation mm -hmm. and the more important coffee becomes to breakfast customers the worse things are going for ralph 
Okay, so he's worried long-term he's going to get squeezed out of the breakfast market. He's watching it happen with these long lines forming at Tim Hortons, and he's just, he can't compete. Okay. Ralph is stuck, so he takes a vacation. Canada is a wonderful country, but Burlington sits just south of Toronto on the banks of Lake Ontario. Wintertime weather fluctuates between cold, very cold, frigid, and freezing. And one of the benefits of running a number of McDonald's in the area is that he can take wonderful trips to Europe. This time, perhaps with coffee still on his mind, he goes to Italy. You might know the story of Howard Schultz of Starbucks. He was famously inspired by the theater, romance, art, and magic of experiencing espresso when he first went to Italy in 1983 and later made the American version of that experience, which was a sophisticated way to buy a coffee milkshake. And so Ralph, uh, in Italy some 20 years later, would also like to have an espresso epiphany. But his is a little bit more pedestrian. His espresso epiphany takes place in a McDonald's. He sees a McDonald's in Italy, walks in, and experiences a McCafe. A McCafe, which was initially created in Australia to compete with the rise of these espresso-based beverages. So essentially a knockoff of the Starbucks experience, which is a knockoff of the Italian espresso experience. It's gone all around the world. West coast of America, Australia, back to Europe. It's the Ouroboros is eating its own tail and yet still has the power to inspire. Beautiful. Yeah, he sees this McCafe, this like full service coffee bar, espresso, cappuccinos, lattes, cookies, pastries, all of it on this beautiful marble tabletop. I think he just sees this as this is the weapon I need to fight in the breakfast battle. Did he go all the way to Italy to see something he could have seen across the border in America? At the time, I think the first McCafe was only in Chicago. So it hadn't yet fully spread. There was a couple around. It wasn't as popular as it later became. So this is still the early days of the McCafe. You'd have to go to the American McDonald's motherland of Chicago, Illinois. One would assume that other people within sort of the corporate level of McDonald's Canada knew about, but had not yet trickled down to the individual owner operators. There's another thing that we just got to talk about. It's in this article. It refers to McDonald's corporate campus as having an institute of hamburgerology, but I believe everyone else calls it Hamburger University. I've never heard this Institute of Hamburgerology. It's such a strange thing to get wrong. I think that's another fictionalization detail. I can only imagine it's a small mistake. Okay, so there aren't any of these in Canada yet. Um, there are not any plans to roll out a McCafe in Canada. Uh, but Ralph is friends with Bill Johnson, who was at the time the chief operating officer of McDonald's Canada and would later go on to be the CEO of McDonald's Canada and help launch McDonald's in Mexico. And so Ralph tells Bill of this beautiful vision he had in Italy, and Bill gets it right away. Bill puts a plan together, gathers a team, gets a new initiative, led by Ralph to launch a pilot project inside one of his stores. And the Canadian version of the McCafe was different from the Italian marble paradise that Ralph saw. When the first prototype opened in May of 2001, it was an addition to the front counter. Um, by the time they designed and planned everything, it only took them four days for the installation and the construction, it didn't even disrupt normal operations. As we were talking about his first experience with the McCafe and how it was a copy of a copy of a coffee and sort of the levels of degrading of that initial Italian coffee experience, this feels like yet another copy of a copy. It's interesting you say that because when I 
think of McDonald's doing a McCafe espresso project in the early 2000s. Yeah, sure. McDonald's has apple pies. McDonald's has hamburgers. McDonald's has chicken sandwiches. McDonald's is sort of its own version of American cuisine at large. I think at this point, it makes sense to sort of incorporate espresso-based drinks into that mix. It's not at all surprising to me that McDonald's has a McDonald'ified version of Starbucks inside of it at this point. It's in fact probably the only way that McDonald's would attempt to do this and why so much planning went into it. It has to be efficient. It has to fit into the structure of McDonald's. It has to fit within the operations and supply chain of the entire McDonald's ecosystem. Right. And the real estate, the the kitchen space and all of the restaurants, the training, the supply of the machines, the maintenance of the machines, it's all an army. So the McCafe allowed McDonald's to offer specialty coffee conveniently, quickly, and relatively inexpensively. Its products included a full selection of specialty coffees and teas, brewed coffee, baked goods, tins, all the McCafe brand. And all the projects would be purchased at the front counter and, of course, at the drive-thru. And this coffee machinery it would pour lattes, cappuccinos, espressos at the push of a button. So these drinks would be finished in 22 seconds, no need for a well-trained barista, uh, a consistent experience every single time. Even the brewed coffee, they prepackaged to ensure every pot had the same strength and flavor. And other than the cookies and the muffins, none of the baked goods were prepared on site. The first McCafe was finally opened and Ralph launched the McDonald's Canada into the coffee wars. And that's consistent, right? Having McDonald's just make, just take all of the labor and skill sort of out of it and compromise the end product, but greatly probably increase the consistency of it. Yeah, I think it's always a give and a take. It's how much do you have to sacrifice on that flavor and quality in order to get things down to a process that can be replicated. And I think McDonald's has shown that consistency is the most important aspect of trying any of these new initiatives out. If you can't reproduce it the exact same way over and over again, it's not a McDonald's product. Right. And so here we are back at our pretend Harvard Business School classroom, or in this case, I guess it's the Richard Ivey School of Business. Interestingly, Bill Johnson, the COO from the case study and later CEO of McDonald's Canada, would go on to regularly guest lecture at the Ivey School. So we can imagine him in front of our pretend business school class asking us to imagine what happens next. And as we talked about before, this case study ends not with any direct questions, but with a very traditionally case study unsatisfying finale. While breakfast sales had improved with McCafe, it was not clear whether the increase in sales would would be sustained. While Ralph was optimistic about the future of McCafe, he was unsure if McCafe was the white knight needed to stem the loss of McDonald's market share in breakfast sales over the long term. So we know it helps sales, um, but we also know from the beginning that sales were still rising and sales were never really the issue. The issue, as you pointed out to me, is market share and specifically of the Wendy's, Tim Hortons combined that is taking over Canada. Where do we find an edge for McDonald's, McCafe? Is it the solution? Okay, is McCafe the solution and or could there have been another solution? Or a different problem, perhaps, that McCafe is the solution to. If Ralph hadn't gone to Italy, where would McDonald's Canada be in the breakfast battle? You know, Wendy's was, at the time, was using these combo stores where they would set up a Wendy's and a Tim Hortons together. Maybe there's a chain that McDonald's could have purchased or partnered with. 
Like, what if there was a McDonald's Dunkin' Donuts? Hmm. Dunkin' Donuts operated in Canada for years in fierce battle with Tim Hortons, and they you know, eventually they lost so badly that they actually left the country in 2018. And so, you know, it seems like a team-up could have been advantageous if they hadn't brought in the McCafe. You know, I've been to a Long John Silver's A&W. I've been to a Taco Bell Pizza Hut, as we are all familiar with. But I feel like it's beneath McDonald's to, to team up in that way. It does feel like a dilution of the brand. And McDonald's, I mean, it, it's one of, you know, probably the top five brands in the world. Dunkin' Donuts is wonderful, but it's, it's it doesn't have the otherworldliness of a McDonald's. McDonald's is a place unto itself to me, or at least it aspires to be. How much do you think of this is coffee and perception of coffee? Because I feel like the rise of Starbucks was sort of predicated on the idea that the coffee you've been drinking is not real coffee, is not good coffee. And I feel like McDonald's has probably been serving coffee since the 60s or 70s. They just happened to be standing there when somebody came around and convinced the American public they should be drinking more expensive coffee. It's hard for me to understand the coffee landscape of Canada, especially at this time. In 2006, Tim Hortons held 62% of the Canadian coffee market. At that same time, Starbucks in the number two position only held 7%. The level of influence and power that Tim Hortons has over Canadian coffee, I think even Starbucks kind of pales in comparison to that level of dominance. If breakfast is the target, then coffee is the bullseye. I will prefer to go somewhere with better coffee and maybe less breakfast options that I like as opposed to the other way around. Interesting. Are you a coffee person, would you say? I'm a reluctant coffee snob. Yeah, okay. I'd say I am too. At the same time, I think a McDonald's coffee is absolutely fine. Right. I remember in Portland when they switched to Seattle's Best as one of their providers. And I assume that was around the same time that they switched in Canada to Mother's Parker as part of that same initiative. I think the current suppliers of McDonald's coffee in the U.S., there's a company I hadn't heard of called Geneva that I think is in Southern California. There's Newman's Own, Seattle's Best, and I think Green Mountain is another one. But because McDonald's is so focused on regional suppliers, you have these different operations providing essentially white label to their specification coffee beans as well as buns meat all the other different products right i'm not sure how this fits into mcdonald's canada or even this particular case study but i had a colleague maybe seven or eight years ago who was an economics major in college and you know this is a computer programming job i'm not sure why this came up in conversation but he was saying all these governments spending money on their local community centers are a waste the free market does it much better uh, if you go to any mcdonald's this was in Los Angeles. If you go to any McDonald's in the Valley or in the greater Los Angeles area, it's going to be packed full of old people sitting there forever having one coffee. Do you think this market is a big part of the fast food coffee breakfast experience? Or do you think it's, it's relevant from a, a business perspective? Or do you think it's just sort of more visible and interesting, but not necessarily moving the needle? From having worked at McDonald's in high school, there were definitely, there was a senior discount on coffee 
And there was definitely like a crew that came in in the morning and just got like a cup of coffee and read the newspaper. So I've seen that phenomenon in real life. And I believe that that still happens in places that don't have a lot of other independent, you know, opportunities for places to go and just sit and sip a cup of coffee. I can absolutely see McDonald's holding that. That third space. Yes, that third space. And I I bet that also has a knock on effect if you're coming there as your third space. On Saturday mornings, you are also going to swing by in the evening for a hamburger. Once you start to identify with that place, that's where I meet for coffee with my friends, with, you know, with this group of people once a week. It's just going to become a natural extension of your neighborhood and your regular routine. So it's going to be a lot easier to pop in. You're a McDonald's guy. Exactly. Some friends of Catherine's family that I met in Canada, this guy was saying he had a group that would get together and they used to go and hang out at this one coffee bar for a while. And after it closed, they just moved to the nearest Tim Hortons. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can rely on a McDonald's being open or, you know, any of these quick service restaurants to be open when you want to go and meet your friends there. Yes. I was in Peekskill, New York. It was a Saturday at 8.30 in the morning. The front area, you've got people waiting in line for a sandwich, a breakfast sandwich. In the back, you have two tables of five, maybe maybe five to eight guys each, all guys, uh, look to be in their 60s. They're having a great time. They're having the time of their lives. They're checking in with each other about their family, about their businesses. I mean, something that this case study doesn't dive into is the demographics of the breakfast customer, both at McDonald's, but also these other quick service restaurants. And I wonder, while your older gentleman hanging out with his friend sipping a cup of coffee for a couple hours is probably not your big profit margin, I wonder how much of that is your business versus how much has the McCafe changed that over time? Where's the growth in this? Are you going to get the market share from the 10 to 15 guys who come every Saturday morning? Uh, is that going to be a sustainable trajectory or would you be better off targeting younger people? You know, who cares about the coffee uh, is something that this case study I wish could tell us a little bit more about. The focus on the coffee reminds me of reading about the launch of McDonald's breakfast. Uh, it was mentioned in the Ray Kroc autobiography, and he was very reluctant initially until he had one of the first breakfast sandwiches. But that was a very slow rollout as well, because not every franchisee owner operator was excited to kind of expand into that breakfast market. And now we think of that as a pretty essential part of mcdonald's Mm. it would be insane to find a mcdonald's that didn't offer breakfast in today's world right and it it fits very much into the fast food which is you know you typically have less time in the morning you're trying to get somewhere the idea of a mcdonald's you know burger restaurant operating in this whole other space probably at the time felt as strange of a focus as now focusing all of breakfast on just coffee it probably felt as strange as if uh like taco bell or kfc were to to make a breakfast move right now yeah absolutely and yet you know a breakfast burrito makes total sense another thing that ray Kroc mentions in his book is this idea of nooks and crannies and this uh idea that was floating around towards the end of his career where people were worried about the saturation of McDonald's and how you couldn't maybe maybe we're hitting the limit of where where you can put a McDonald's and a McCafe feels like a real opportunity to stick a McDonald's somewhere smaller you know you could you could stick a McCafe in a lobby you could you know in the same way that a Starbucks operates that way or 
in a in a smaller location that's just focused on coffee and building up the brand that way. Uh, so what would you do in this situation, Mike? The first and most dramatic thing I would do in this situation is I would rewrite this case study. This is an example of a case study that isn't presenting us with enough of a scenario to really build a strong conclusion off of. Last week, we talked about the launch of McDonald's in the former Soviet Union. But the case study wasn't about the launch. It was about the crisis that happened after that launch. So it built up to something and then threatened to take it all away. In this case, all we are told about is how McDonald's Canada first installed a McCafe as a pilot project. And then it just kind of ends with a dot, dot, dot. It doesn't really present us with a threat to that other than this vague Tim Hortons market share kind of idea. And so I don't think the stakes have been raised enough in this to really fuel a strong discussion about the McCafe in Canada. It's been served to us a little lukewarm. When I read this case study, I think there's got to be some creative outside the lines thing to point out here. And to me, it comes down to the role of McDonald's as a community space that's being unexplored and almost sounds like a joke the first time you hear it until you've seen it. And I wonder if they had some other strategy that was more specific than just gain market share. If they could have a strategy that was gain market share with this particular audience for these reasons, you know, so that we can do X, Y, and Z next steps. I think you're totally right. And I think McDonald's orange drink is a great example of this. What is the orange drink? It's like a weird tang-like juice that would always be in a giant cooler whenever McDonald's was sponsoring some like kids event. Oh, I don't even think was ever served in the restaurant, but was just like a takeaway item to kind of community develop the idea of McDonald's. Wow. And in this way, it does feel like that third space coffee as a way to bring people together using coffee as an adult version of orange drink and sponsoring events and going out of their way to put McDonald's coffee and the McCafe kind of like in the midst of people drinking coffee in these places would be an amazing way to have launched this product. Um, hmm. I think this case study has gone cold at this point. Is there any way we can um, mix in some ice or a pump of caramel syrup and give it a whirl? I'm running out of hope. Join us next time for an exciting case study on McDonald's served up by the Harvard Business Review. 